0: You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad that you tuned into the podcast today. This episode of the podcast is going to be a follow up of sorts for the sermon. On Sunday, I preached about repentance. And specifically, I preached about John the Baptist in the Jordan. If you remember, John was offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People were coming to John, and their baptism was a declaration of repentance. They were asking for forgiveness of sin because they were acknowledging that they wanted to be clean before God, that God was about to do something special in their midst. They wanted to be ready for Messiah. They were participating with John to make the way ready for God. All right, so John's offering a baptism of repentance. Well, this podcast episode really is going to explore a question that used to really bother me about this particular scene. And I don't know if it's ever bothered you or not, but hey, let's explore it. The question for me really has to do with the very next episode in the Gospel. After our sermon ended and John is baptizing people, Jesus comes to be baptized. And I used to really scratch my head and say, wait a minute, why is Jesus being baptized in a baptism that is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Because I firmly believe that Jesus did not sin. I believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Part of that is that Jesus never committed sin. So that's my belief. Well, if that's what I believe, what on earth is Jesus doing being baptized in a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins? Has that ever bothered you? Have you ever wondered? Well, I'd like to explore that and tell you at least how I have come to answer that question. You may or may not agree with me, but I think it's pretty interesting. So let me set the stage. In Mark Matthew and Luke. You have this imagery of Jesus being baptized. Now, I want to kind of explore that every gospel author presents the story just a little bit differently, which I think could possibly be a clue that people in the early churches had questions about Jesus being baptized as well, because you see a different emphasis in each of these. Let me just sort of explore this through these ancient texts. Okay, so a lot of Bible scholars think that Mark wrote his gospel first, that he was the earliest gospel to be written, so that Matthew and Luke, most likely, were able to read the gospel of Mark or had something very similar so that when they wrote their accounts of the life of Jesus, they were able to add their particular nuances, eyewitness testimonies for Luke, personal memories for Matthew, and they were able to build an expanded gospel, but that they did not throw out what they read in Mark. They agreed with what Peter told Mark. and They agreed with what had already been written and preserved. And so you find that Mark is sort of embedded in Matthew and Luke in a way, right? All right. So Mark is the first gospel. Well, Mark is pretty direct about it. In chapter one, verse nine, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. It's pretty straightforward, right? And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, "You are my beloved son; with you I am well pleased." Okay, so Mark gives a very straightforward, uh, unapologetic description that Jesus came forward and was baptism was baptized. Okay, Matthew. Uh, is just a is a little different. Matthew introduces this dialogue where John says, Whoa, whoa, you should baptize me. In my opinion, Matthew's telling us what I'm thinking the whole time, that Jesus should baptize John. Uh, And so John thought that too. Matthew records it. Let me let me read this. In Matthew chapter three, verse thirteen and following. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, who am well pleased. So in Matthew's Gospel, you have John speaking up to say exactly what I'm thinking. You should baptize me, not vice versa. Uh, but Jesus' response is really, really clear. No, John, now, this is before the crucifixion and resurrection, now you need to baptize me. It's, fulf- it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Not that Jesus would be made righteous by being baptized, but that Jesus was uh, that Jesus was carrying out God's will and that Jesus participating in baptism with the people of Judea and Jerusalem and the surrounding area. It, uh, it was an act of righteousness. Luke chapter 3, uh, which is where we would have read if we kept going on Sunday, Jesus is baptized. There's not the same dialogue, but what you do see is that there's not uh, a lot of specific mention. It's kind of softened. I'll show you. Verse 21 of chapter 3. When all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son it was supposed of Joseph, son of Heli. All right, so in Luke... Uh, Jesus is clearly you know, participates in baptism, but it's kind of bundled with people. It says when all the people were baptized and Jesus was also baptized and was praying, it kind of skips forward past the baptism scene. There's not, um, there's not a lot made about it except to say that Jesus was baptized with everybody else, um, and then afterwards that he was praying, and sort of the emphasis is on his prayer at the end. So Matthew, uh, Mark is pretty straightforward. Matthew has, uh, has, has introduced and told us that John had a question about baptizing Jesus, and Luke just kind of almost sort of fast-forwards the tape a little bit, make sure that we see Jesus baptized in the crowd, and, um, and then also you know, fast-forwards towards the praying. Interesting enough, what about John's Gospel? Well, in John's Gospel, you don't have an account of the baptism of Jesus at all. There's a lot of information about John the Baptist. I think John has, to me, some of the most interesting language about John the Baptist. In John's gospel, uh, John is, you know, people wonder if John is the Messiah. He tells them no. He points to Jesus very clearly. He sends some of his disciples to follow Jesus. John says, he must become greater. I must become less. He was sending his disciples to Jesus. His entourage, his following was becoming smaller while Jesus was becoming greater on purpose. Um, it, it specifically says in John chapter 4 that Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist was and then it tells you that actually Jesus had his disciples doing the baptism which was a little different than John doing it all himself Jesus was, was uh, empowering his disciples to do the baptizing you have all of that information uh, you have long speeches from John but you, but you don't ever see Jesus getting baptized by John so in John's gospel it's kind of passed over so what does this mean? Well, I don't know entirely. But I, I can tell you this, some things that are not in the Bible because they're they're non canonical, they're not they're not authoritative, they're not scripture, but they're curious, they're interesting. Um, somebody went the wrong direction with this in my opinion. Uh, in the church that later church there was a there's a heretical gospel that nobody that, that the church did not preserve. I mean the church recognized it as heresy. It's why it's not in your Bible. There's only fragments left in other people's writings, but there was this uh, gospel of the Nazarenes where um, where in their stories, kind of their legends, you know, Jesus goes. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, being asked if he wants to go be baptized, you know, somebody says, "Are you going to go be baptized by John?" And Jesus says, "No, why would I? <laughs> you know, there's no reason for me to go." He just outright rejects it, which is not at all what happened according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, but that's evidence to me that somebody before me thought about Jesus getting baptized and said, "Wait a minute, if Jesus." is sinless, how could he participate in a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Matthew tells us it was to fulfill all righteousness. But in what way does that? I've heard some interesting explanations. For example, I've heard some people say that Jesus was just teaching us uh, to submit to baptism or that he was leading the way to show us by his example that we should follow his example and be baptized. I think that's terrific. Um, I'm not sure it's exactly right, but it makes sense to me. I've heard some people say, and I, I, this is a little different, but that Jesus was baptized so that by being baptized, he might purify the waters of baptism so they would be effectual for us. Um, I mean, that's pretty. It's you know, poetic. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. But it doesn't to me, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to resonate with, um, with understandable truth or with anything that Jesus taught or that the apostles taught. So let me tell you what I've come to understand. You know, in Luke's gospel, when it says all the people were baptized and Jesus also had been baptized, Jesus is presented within a community. And keep in mind that John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, it's not the same thing as baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism into Jesus after uh, the apostles are sharing the gospel in its full form. But it was called a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the big problem for me always was, Jesus had not sinned, why would he repent? And then, to me, the key that kind of unlocks the mystery is to recognize that in the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, their community is different than ours. And one big distinctive difference is that in, in the West, especially in America, we are very individual thinkers. We, we understand our identity As individuals you know we might move far away from home Uh, we might you know barely communicate sometimes with family or friends we like to think of ourselves as Lone Rangers we celebrate heroes who do things all by themselves you know the Lone Ranger or John Wayne or whoever Uh, but in the West we're somewhat isolated as persons you know we don't see ourselves embedded our identity embedded in a community but in the East, in the ancient Middle East, in the world of the ancient Mediterranean where Jesus was raised and did his ministry, people thought more in terms of community. They had communal identities. They recognized their identity, their personhood, as embedded within their family, within their people, within their group, uh, and even within all of Israel you know, for the disciples and for Jesus. For us, it's hard to imagine this. But I see the repentance that Jesus is participating in at the Jordan. Not that he's repenting of any sin that he's committed. In my mind, he never committed a sin. But I see Jesus identifying with his people. Participating in a communal repentance. Confessing that as a people, Israel was sinful and had departed from God. That the Jerusalem temple was being run corruptly and was not Pleasing Jesus, and that actually becomes a strong theme towards the end of his gospels, where he actually is, you know, preaching parables against the temple, where the high priest is actually one of the instigators of his own execution, where the Sanhedrin and temple leaders, you know, are the ones that want him killed, and in John's gospel, uh, in particular, you see a, a real strong contest between between the temple and Jesus. Um, so, this being said. When Jesus is being baptized in a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, he had not sinned and did not need forgiveness. But he stands as a member of a community, as a people, and he declares with them that as a people they had sinned and they needed God's redemption. Now, so what does that say for us? Well, number one, it kind of clarifies a question that I had for years. It makes sense to me of why Jesus was baptized. How he was identifying with all these people. Sort of the way Luke presents it in Luke 3. How he was identifying with all people. It makes sense to me now of Matthew chapter 3 of what Jesus might have meant when he said, let it be so for now for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The Messiah was coming to die for his people as one of his people. It makes sense that his baptism is a part of God's plan Uh, to bring righteousness to his people. And that Jesus was identifying with the communal sin of the nation of Israel with repentance for the people. I mean, the incarnation, Jesus is coming to walk among us and be one of us so that he can redeem us from among us. That is so powerful to me. And it's beautiful that you even see this as his feet walk into the water of the Jordan for him to receive a baptism that is not on account of any of his sin that he should repent of. But his entire life is to bring repentance to the people, and he stands among them and is baptized with them. I just think that's powerful. But to understand it, you have to be able, as a Westerner, as an as an American for myself, to be able to recognize that it's hard for me to see that as an individualized Person as a person who thinks of myself only in terms of who I am as an individual, is not as somebody from the world of Jesus who would have understood my identity naturally embedded within the people with whom I live, with my community, with my family, with my people group, with my village, where my name, my reputation, my honor, my place um, is. In this, in this large and wonderful social web where we are all bound together, and our identity is somewhat collective or communal. So collective identity, communal identity, becomes kind of the key to understanding the baptism of Jesus. So what does that say to believers now, besides answering a, an interesting question? Well, for me, I think it, it should help believers today feel brokenhearted for the sin of the world around us. Like when we look all when we look around, I think that we should say wait a minute. Some of the sins that I'm grieving, I didn't commit them, but my heart breaks over them. And as a member of our culture, as a member of our society, I weep, I hurt over some of the sins that that we have committed against God and against each other. And I'm willing to stand, though I wasn't guilty of them, I'm willing to stand and ask for mercy, ask for God's forgiveness for us as a people. I'm willing to identify um, that, that, I'm not, that, that I'm a part of the brokennesses of this community. I think about Isaiah saying, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, Jesus wasn't sinful, but as Isaiah would have been. But that that communal pattern. Also recognize Nehemiah and Daniel praying powerful prayers of repentance for all of Israel, not just for their individual sins, but for their people. And in that same idea, this communal, collective identity, I see Jesus being baptized for people he came to redeem, standing among them, identifying with all their sin, though he had not committed any of it himself. And I encourage believers today that we should mourn over sin and grieve over it. Our first impulse shouldn't be just to quickly justify ourselves and say, well, I didn't do that, but rather... Our impulse should be to look at the people that we love, the churches, the communities that we live in, and grieve over the pain of sin in our world, identify with it, and seek God's healing as a part of it. Church family, I love you. Thanks for listening to uh, a podcast about what was, for me, a perplexing question for a long time. Thanks. I hope you have a terrific afternoon. Can't wait to see you tonight in our discipleship groups and Sunday as we gather for worship.